If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 19 through 26. Luke chapter 20, verses 19 through 26. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to invite you once again to uh, please do everything that you can to be here for our impact series through Ephesians chapter 2. Next week we're going to look at human depravity. What does the Bible say that every person is before they come to Christ? In other words, can you get to God by stop doing bad stuff and start doing good stuff? We're going to look at that the week after. Uh, we're going to look at regeneration, what a lot of people uh, in this area know as being born again. What does, the, what does the Bible, not what does church tradition tell us, but what does the Bible say actually happens when a person uh, comes to know Jesus Christ? So I want to urge you and uh, tell you especially, especially for church members uh, in the last three weeks of this series, it is absolutely essential um, that they be here, but especially if you have lost friends, please invite them. We're going to do a lot of uh, very interesting, creative stuff, and I hope that you're here. Before we start, I want to introduce uh, some of my friends. We've got my brother Justin here, Justin, and uh, this is my youngest brother. And we've got Jared Hunt all the way from Palm Bay, Florida. Let's give it up for these guys. And uh, then we have my friend Joe Rowe. And uh, Joe uh, played uh, football at North Greenville University. And he does, uh, for one of his jobs, he does themed environments for churches. They go in and they'll create like a children's facility and do a biblically themed thing. It's incredible. It's very difficult to describe, but uh, we've got some information on that if you guys are interested in it. And Joe is also very, very single. So if you know of any prospective uh, ladies who are in the same category, I can definitely give you his number after the service. Um, Also, I've got a couple of my friends from the uh, Fit Club boxing class. This is John. And uh, Joe, John is a retired police officer from New York City, and, uh, and Joe's a student at the Naval Academy. So they didn't kill me the other week, so please give them a word of encouragement afterwards for, um, for being here. Thank you, guys. Uh, Luke chapter 20, the theme for this, for this message is we become what we worship. Now, if you remember when you were a little kid um, watching the TV, I heard somebody say one time that TV does not affect kids. I don't know what they're smoking, but that's not true. I mean, seriously, can you remember? Y'all okay? Y'all awake? Y'all, y'all awake? We good? Okay. All right. Good. Got the coffee going. For some, might take some Metamucil. It'll be okay. So, seriously, I mean, sometimes people come to church and it's like, it's like they've been watching Clint Eastwood 24-7. They're trying to do the stare. Okay. So now that we're on the same track. Remember when you were a kid and you watch a show, like whether it be Zorro, for some of you who've been around for a while, you watch Roy Rogers, okay, back in the day, maybe it's John Wayne, maybe it's Chuck Norris, alright, one fan, cool, and you watch these shows... And, and we spoke about this a couple weeks ago, and it's like, especially when you're a little kid, because when you're an adult, you still want to do that stuff, right? Like, I mean, when you watch something, you want to go do it. When you're a kid, you just don't care. Right? Like, if you walk into your, your workplace today, and all of a sudden, you know, start screaming and flexing and breaking stuff, you'll get fired. Because you're trying to be the Hulk. But if you're a kid, and you go in, the teacher's like, honey, that's fine, just sit down. The point is, man, we can be so influenced by stuff that we see. Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about? Like, when you watch stuff, you're like, wow, I would love to do that. I remember when I was a teenager, we went and watched the Power Team. Anybody know what the Power Team is? 
Okay, these guys who are bigger than big, they go do things like they blow up hot water balloons and explode them with the power of their lungs. All right, they will take um, frying pans that normal people cook eggs in and they roll them up like tacos. They take steel bars and put them in their teeth and make a U out of it. You know, and going home from that, me and my friends, man, we found some, some of that cheap paneling board and we put it over the bench, put a, put a rag there, and we're like, Kah! breaking it. You know, a mom comes in and she's like, what do you, I, I don't know, we're just hanging out, mom. You know, we are so influenced by things that we see. And what we're going to look at this morning is a very pertinent passage for the simple reason that we basically have a group of people in the Bible and today in church who are entrenched in what's called religious traditionalism. Now here's what that means. It means doing things that are religious out of reasons that are not from their heart, but they do them simply because that's the way that they've always done it. Are you hearing me this morning? Doing things, and and there's no basis of why we do those things in Scripture, but people who say, well, this is the way that we do church, and it's religious traditionalism. And Jesus gives us a crossroads, and He says, whatever you focus on, you will eventually become that. So notice there in verse 19, this is after Jesus gives this scathing sermon against the Pharisees. Notice how uh, user-friendly Jesus was in verse 18. This is the conclusion of his sermon. Everyone who falls on that stone, speaking of himself, will be broken to pieces, and but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Have a nice day. I mean, seriously, that is the end of Jesus' sermon. And in verse 19 where we pick up, it says, The scribe and the chief priest tried to lay hands on him that very hour. So what was happening here is you had this religious mindset and they saw Jesus as a threat. And let me just be very upfront and honest. Um, Man, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're searching for the truth. We love you. Much of the first part of this message is not for you. It's for the people who have been in church. If you have been in church, you can know that you are a religious traditionalist if you view change that is fueled by truth as a threat. Here's what that means. This is the way we've always done it. Well, why have we always done it this way? I don't know. We just have. And it's not based on truth. If someone comes in and they tell you, well, we need to be conformed to Christ's image, you say, no, I don't want to do that because it doesn't match with the way that we've always done it. You're a religious traditionalist. Now, what had happened here is you have basically 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's a very helpful piece of information. If you can, if you have your Bibles, go back with me to the first Bible, or excuse me, the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and then flip between the divider, and let's look at the last words that God had for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, God said, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet. Now this is a prophetic utterance that John the Baptist would come and be like Elijah. Before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Let me be very clear today. God can do that today. Amen, church? 
God can restore families. But notice, he says, so that, here's the purpose, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Lights out. For 400 years, that was the last word that God had given to the Jewish people. Because what had happened here, man, God had sent prophet after prophet after preacher after preacher, but every single time, the people plugged their ears and said, we don't want to hear it. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they don't listen to anything you say? Isn't that kind of frustrating? You know, you... You're talking about this subject, but it's like everything you say, they don't even pay attention to it at all. I mean, it's, tr- it's like trying to talk to a brick wall. It's like back when, you know, I was in middle school, the girls would do that thing when they didn't want, they'd be like, brick wall. Some of you guys may remember that, maybe not, alright, um, that's fine. So, they would do that to be like, I'm not listening to you anymore. There is a blockage here. I am shutting off to you. And that's what had happened. And here's a very serious point. Please hear me, church people. If God speaks to you truth, and God tells you, you need to have this area of your life changed, but you say, no, because I've always done it this way, check it out. This is all throughout Scripture. God will harden your heart. And God will close your ears. It's not that God doesn't want people to hear Him. It's that over and over again, if we say, God, I don't want to listen to you, God's going to basically give us the desires of our heart. So, you're like, man, Jeff, what are you talking about with religious traditionalism? Well, there's some dangers. On the first one there in verse 19, you could, if those of you who like to write notes, you can write this down. Religious traditionalism will cause you to hate what you should embrace. Notice that Jesus had given this sermon that was incredible, but yet they wanted to lay hands on him. Now, this laying hands on him was not like, you know, we're going to pray for you. All right. Have you guys ever been to a church and they have awkward greeting times? Anybody ever been there before? Right. Like, that's totally cool to do greeting times. We may do that in the future. We're not, I mean, that's fine, but sometimes you go to a church and it's kind of like, well, this is our greeting time and go ahead and feel free to uh, love on the people around you. And you look around and you're like, I'm not really sure that I want to be loved on by some of you. Jesus loved me. You know, got like awkward hugs and things like that. I remember when I was at uh, First Baptist uh, Dallas, the, the pastor told everybody to stand up and he said, now go ahead and hug all the people around you. Well, it just so happens that the row behind me was filled with single women from the young marriage class. I mean, not from the singles class. That would be very bad if it was from the married class. And so, I mean, it's like, well, just obeying the pastor, you know. And so there can sometimes be like these awkward things. What is the Bible talking about? The word, the, the, the term lay hands on literally means to notice what it says in verse 19, so that they could deliver him. Verse nineteen twenty, so that they could deliver him to the ruler. Basically, this is the way in the New Testament by saying that they wanted to jump him. Now imagine how weird it would be if we were back there and we were watching. You have these religious people who act religiously, in other words, fake, and they have these religious looking clothes on, and then they're like wanting to jump this guy named Jesus. Now, why in the world would they do that? Well, it's because they viewed him as a threat. You realize that religious pride, church, and like I said, this is is mainly for the church people, 
Religious pride will blind you and twist your reality. It will cause you to hate the thought of change. Not change for the sake of change, but change to be more like Christ. Because instead of embracing truth, you embrace what we've always done. Now, the Christian life, I want to make a bold statement here. The Christian life, check this out, church, is all about change. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and in the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. So, the Christian life is me becoming less like the old Jeff and more like Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He predestined that they may be conformed to the image of His Son. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So the Christian life is all about, for some of those, uh, you maybe have been involved in, um, is this okay? You guys alright with that? Okay. If you've been involved with carpentry, you notice when a carpenter begins to work on a project, it looks, at the further he goes with the project, it looks less and less like what it began with and looks more and more like what he desires it to be. In church, the amazing thing about Jesus, I praise God that Jesus came and He came preaching truth. Don't you? Uh, but, but you know, like it, it's such an amazing thing that Jesus would come and He would preach and say, guys, you need to embrace this truth that will change your life. But what religious traditionalism will do to your soul and your mind, it will cause you to see what God desires for you as something that should be avoided when in fact we see all throughout Scripture that the Christian life is about me being changed to be like my Savior. Not remaining the way that I was. Secondly, religious traditionalism is dangerous because it makes you hold on to what you should let go of. Notice in verse 19. They wanted to lay hands on Him and they what? They feared the people. What had happened, man? They were all worried about what other people thought of them. Now that cannot always be a bad thing. You know, there's always like the guy that says, well, I don't care what anybody, you know, says about me. And he like, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't bathe or use deodorant. You guys hear that 87, or I think 86% of men use deodorant, 14% suffer from loneliness. I mean, there could be a correlation there. Not really sure. You know, there's always like that guy that really takes it too far. We're not talking about that. We're talking about like living your whole life worried about what other people think. It's kind of like a prison. Man, I've been to prison before, like to, you know, visit people and share the gospel. Awesome time. And always when you go in, there's always that definitive mark in the sand when you hear clink and your mind says, you're in. And if they don't open it, you're not going to get out. Do you know what the fear of what people think about you is? It's a prison. It's a prison that puts you in a confine that God does not want you to be in. If you, if we had time, man, we could go back to the first chapter of Jeremiah when God's like, Jeremiah, man, I want you to go to these people. I want you to preach hardcore. I want you to give it to them. I want them to be changed. And Jeremiah's like, look, God, I'm too young, hadn't been trained. 
And God says, do not fear their faces. You ever look at somebody and their face is like, I will kill you now? You know, like, like in traffic, or, or maybe you're in the classroom, or maybe your boss or something, or maybe you're in a marriage relationship, and guys, you say something that you probably shouldn't have said, and she gives you that look. You with me? She gives you that look that says you had probably, in the interest of self-preservation, stop now. What happens throughout all of Scripture? You see the decision for us to fear the faces and the opinions of others or to seek the face of God. And for this church, for myself, for you as individuals, I pray that our prayer... Are are we together... In this church, I pray that our prayer is not, God, would you help us to continue the way we've always been in our own lives? Because, man, if you continue the way you've always continued in your life, there's a six-letter word, and it's called boring. You realize that God is so not boring that Jesus came into the world to radically transform our lives. How do you change society? You change society through individuals. And what Jesus wanted them to let go of was that which they didn't want to let go of, and it was the fear of people. Now let me just give you, give you help. Um, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, it says that the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. But he who trusts in the Lord shall be exalted. That means today, if you're worried about what people think about you, if you're a religious traditionalist, I'm telling you that Jesus can set you free. Because one of the things that religious traditionalism will do, that if we could all just do this right now, think of our life, what we count as important. For some in the middle, it may be Virginia Tech football. Or for some, it may be work. Or for some, it may be Vacation For some it may be money. For some it may be Jesus. But what religious traditionalism will do, instead of having God in the center of our life, it will be the way we've always done it. I'm telling you, this is exactly why these guys were mad. Because they said, well, it's all about me. And since I have done these things and kept these rules... Therefore, I'm not a bad person. And let me just help you very clearly, church people and non-church people, there are, in God's eyes, no good, perfect, righteous people. Can I get a witness? If you're here today, man, and you, you have been away from God, do not feel that the church people are the good people and the bad people are over here. In God's eyes, we've all sinned and we all need Jesus. There's equality at the cross. There's like three amens. You guys, I mean, seriously, in the South, man, we get this all jacked up and twisted and maligned to where we're like the Pharisees. Well, we're thinking, you know, because I do these things, because I go to church, because I pray, none of that matters. The only thing that matters in our relationship with God is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And because of what Jesus did, I can have peace with God. And only because of that. So don't play the game that they did in wanting people to respect us and people to look up to us. We should seek the face of God. Number three, religious traditionalism will make you a fake versus a follower. Notice what it says in verse 20. 
So they watched him and sent spies that they pretended to be righteous. So here was a group of guys who were, they were like fakes. It's interesting, the word pretended here is the word where we get our English word hypocrite from. It it, it was used by the Greek actors in a play, like a movie. It was used for one who played the part of another, but wasn't actually, um, wasn't actually that person. Like, man, so, so Jeff, what makes a person be fake? Have you ever, you ever been talking to somebody and you're like, you can just kind of like see through them, like you're full of it, you're not real. What made these people try to be real when they were actually fake? It was because they had an agenda. Like, what was the agenda? Their agenda was to eliminate the threat. Eliminate the threat to their system. Jesus was a threat to upset the apple cart of the way that it had always been done. And let me just say, say this very, very clearly. When you guys study history too, every person who's ever challenged a religious system, check this out, has always become the enemy of that religious system. Let me just be frank and honest, man. I've only been with you guys for a few weeks. Um, I'm here because I believe that God told me to come to Rocky Mount, Virginia and to pastor this church. And I'm all about the gospel of Jesus Christ being the only way that a person can have a relationship with God. And it is the gospel, please hear me, and only the gospel that we can make the main thing. So if you are a religious traditionalist, I love you with all my heart. You may not like me, but seriously, you will see me as an enemy because I believe the gospel. And I hope there's not anybody in this church who's like that, but I'm just going to be put it out as soon as we can and be honest. You will see me as an enemy because what I desire to see is for people to come here, people who don't look like most of us, people who come from a variety of backgrounds and come and get saved, get really transformed, begin to live like Jesus Christ, and this will be a new place that's filled with the Spirit of God. Because I'm not the one who gave the description. You guys were like, man, we've been, we've been going downhill for several years. We need God to do a work. So if we have God do a work, it's got to be all about the gospel. You guys out there, you okay? If it's all about the gospel and the power of God, that is the change that I as an individual and a Christian must have. And it's what a church must have. But if you are a religious traditionalist, you will see that as a threat and you will see even the gospel itself, although it will be masked in different terms, as something that should be avoided. Finally, religious traditionalism will cause you to be a schemer instead of a servant. They were trying to catch Jesus. Notice, here's how it gets really interesting. In verse number 20 that they might catch him in some statement so they could deliver him to the rulers. And over in verse 21, they begin to to question him. And here it was. They said in verse 22, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he detected their trickery. Okay, here was the catch 22. If Jesus said, no, you can't pay taxes to Caesar, all of a sudden the Roman IRS would be on him like white on rice. I mean, Jesus would be arrested for being a political subversive agent going against the Roman Empire. And for common sense, people didn't do that because the Romans didn't play around, right? There were no Miranda rights, no constitution, no bill of rights. It was like, Okay, we're sending soldiers to your house to beat you into submission. And then if you don't listen, we'll kill you. Have a nice day. Signed, Rome. That was the way they operated. But notice what 
Jesus had for the question. Then the other thing, if he said we're supposed to pay taxes to Caesar, guys, this was not just any old tax. This was actually a tribute tax, which was the national reminder that we have been conquered by Rome. It's kind of bad to be embarrassed. You remember maybe some of you guys playing basketball as a kid and somebody just swats your shot. I mean, just blocks it. I mean, throws it to the stands. And everybody says, Ooh! Or maybe you're playing baseball and, and you get struck out. Or what's terrible if you strike out in softball. That's when you just like quit the team, man, and go home. It's like fail blog, you know. Or, I mean, you're walking down the street and you slip and you stumble. It's very difficult to play off something like that. And notice that Jesus was presented with this question that said, are you supposed to pay this tax? This was an embarrassing tax. So what did Jesus do? Notice what he did. He said, show me a denarius, which was a small Roman coin. And he said, whose likeness or literally whose image and writing or inscription does it have? And they said, notice this was not one. I was studying this. This was so cool. This is the plural. Like they all at one time, like a bunch of dudes said this at once. It was, wasn't like one guy... Um, Caesar? It was like, Caesar! Like all of them were like, Jesus, are you dumb? What is your problem? Of course that's Caesar's picture. And then Jesus gives the response. Man, this is incredible. Notice in your Bible, verse 25. And He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And verse 26 says that they were unable to catch him in a saying in the presence of the people. And and being amazed at his answer, this is awesome, they became silent. Silence. You know what Jesus said? He pointed back to the book of Genesis. When God said in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, 27 says, God created man as His own image. In the image of God, He created him, male and female. He created us. Jesus is saying that you were made in the image of God. Now this does not mean physically, but it means the fact that we have a moral conscience and a spirit. Animals don't have a moral conscience. They just do what they do based off of instinct and behavior modification, right? I mean, you could even teach dogs to do all sorts of stuff, but, but they, they, they don't have that moral sensibility. Like, I've never found my dog crying for the fact that she stole food when I was gone. She hides under the table because she fears punishment. Animals don't have that. There's actually an article in News a Week called What Are They Thinking? Talking about animals, and the article said this, Animals, even the most intelligent, apes, birds, dogs, never have the aha moment that a two-year-old does. You ever notice little kids, like they finally get that self-awareness, like, I'm here and I now know how to manipulate mom against dad. I have arrived. It's an incredible thing being made in the image of God. But guess what every Jewish person thought? They thought of Genesis chapter 1 and also the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6 um, in verse 4 through 6. It says in verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, 
with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And verse 6 says, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You see, even in the Old Testament, it was not a relationship with God that was built on me climbing this ladder. It was based upon a heart condition that God does in us. Can you hear that, church? I mean, it is all the grace of God. Even in the Old Testament, the Bible says in the book of Galatians that Abraham was justified by faith, not by works. So as this sunk into the minds of the hearers, they realized, man, love God with all of my heart. If I'm made in the image of God, then I should love my Creator. That means all of my tender affections. All of the things that I have in my heart that I just, I just have this desire to love, let that be to God. And God will transform that into a love for other people. Do you love God? When you have a desire for God, He wants to work in your life so much. Don't we serve an awesome Creator? I mean, a God who would love me! And a God who would have patience with us to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and then with all of your soul. That means your deepest passions. Man, I watched Braveheart this week. Oh my goodness, and he's given the speech. The Braveheart speech. I won't give it here because I don't know it all. But you just watch that. And you watch this courage, you know, like every man wants to be that and every woman wants her man to be that. I mean, courage and strength. Agility. Long-suffering patience. And you just want to like take a broadsword out in the yard and chop a tree down. You're so inspired by your, your passions. Listen, friends, let our passions be for God. If you can come and you can read God's Word and not be moved. If you can hear singing, traditional or contemporary, and when it talks about the amazing love of God and not be moved, there's a problem. If God is so great and He's so patient and kind, then how can I not give Him my heart and give Him my soul and give Him my physical actions, my strength? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your reasonable act of service. We become what we worship. A.W. Tozer said this, Human nature as we know it is in a formative state. It's not finished. It is changed into the image of the thing that it loves. Question. Do you love God? He created you in His image and His inscription is on your heart. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 says that God has given every person a conscience. We all know that God is real and God is good. Do you love God? Do we as a church love God? You say, man, how can I, Jeff, how can I really know if I love God? It's very simple. Book of 1 John, do you love people? Do we love people? So I think so. How do I know if I love people? If you're willing to love them as Christ loved you. In the context of a church, that means reaching people with the gospel. I don't know if you guys, um, you guys remember Polaroid cameras? Remember that as a kid? When you take a picture with that Polaroid camera, 
It's, uh, I remember that, like going to VBS and little kid stuff. They take the picture, and all of a sudden there's this... And then you look, there's this little piece of white paper coming out, and all of a sudden it begins to change colors, and you're like, right now, your life has developed into a cold, dead, stiff, religious traditionalism to where it's all about the order of the service to where it's all about what songs we sing, what we wear, all of a lot of superficial, please hear my heart, superficial nonsense that would be well in company with the Pharisees. Is everybody okay? Can we say that here? Can we be real and honest? Jesus can change that today. He can give you a heart that will love Him and service Him. And some of you, you've gotten right with the Lord. He has delivered you from a multitude of evils. And you're here today saying, man, it's not because of anything I've done, but it's because of what Jesus has done that the Polaroid picture of my life is being conformed. And every day, I stumble and I fall. But praise God, by the grace of God, He's making me into what He wants me to be. And that's the question today. What does your life resemble? You were created in the image of God to give glory to God. He loves you and He desires to change every one of us.